Okay, welcome back to series three of Recruitment Journeys, the very first podcast ever dedicated to the Australian recruitment industry. Brought to you by me, Pete Watson, and Mint Recruitment, which is my R2R business. Uh, We've been finding great jobs for great recruiters since 2004. Now then, on Recruitment Journeys this time around, we're doing things a little bit differently. Instead of just having the traditional one-on-one conversations, we're inviting two recruitment identities onto every episode. So we can get differing opinions, alternate points of view, a bit of banter, vibrant discussion. And who knows, we might even get some heated debate and who doesn't love a bit of heated debate. So two for the price of one. We'll talk about all things recruitment and also try to get to know our guests on a personal level too. Between the two of them, Paul Hallam and Steve Carter have almost 50 years recruitment experience. Most of that 50 years has been spent in recruitment leadership roles, with almost 30 of those years running two of Australia's most respected recruitment brands, Six Degrees and Sharp and Carter. So it was great to get these two long-term acquaintances in the same chat to find out more about them behind the scenes, to hear a couple of funny stories from yesteryear, and to ask them the question, when creating success in recruitment, what is more important, recruitment excellence or culture? I asked them both to choose one or the other. There was no sitting on the fence. So without further ado. Steve Carter and Paul Hallam, good afternoon. How are you? Very well, thank you, Pete. How are you? I'm very well, thank you. Very well. Welcome to Series 3 of Recruitment Journeys, the podcast series. Um, You've both been kind enough to feature on these uh, these things with me before. So I I thank you once again for, for turning up and giving your valuable time. Um, now, Recruitment Journey Series 2 is a little bit different. Instead of doing the traditional kind of one-on-one conversation, we're trying to bring in uh, a couple of uh, recruitment identities so we can have a bit of a, a three-way chat about, about all things recruitment. In an ideal world, when I, when I came up with the concept, I was thinking about bringing in complete strangers. I thought it just might mean extra fireworks. Um, but it would be a nonsense to suggest that you two don't know each other. Quite the opposite, right? I think you've known each other quite a few years is that correct can somebody tell me back in time yeah well i started i started uh in 1998 at michael page you were maybe a year and a half prior to me paulie it was july 1996 cuts so yeah. uh yeah what's yeah. that 20 23 years yep and then we worked together for six years at page before um uh before paulie went out to start six degrees were you ever in the same team were you ever kind of side by side colleagues or yours in different divisions we were, we were in, in essence, enemies within Michael Page. Really? I, was, uh, I was running the sales and marketing team and Katz was in the money-making machine called Finance. <laughs> well, it's, um, yeah, and, and we didn't, and Paulie was in the city and I was in the southeast. So it was more a, um, a friendship forged in uh, the endless drinks that Michael Page used to serve up to us um, uh, a monthly and, and quarterly basis. Um and then, uh, yeah, and then from there, um, Paulie went out with Nick and, and um, David and it was um, it's a great story actually because I think, you know, for, for most people looking at the, the Six Degrees um, business model, the execution of Six Degrees, it was just, it, it was and it was perceived to be a flawless execution. Like what an incredible business, just hit the ground running, um, took market share and just just has gone from strength to strength and and it has. Um, And really the only thing that I think um, could be argued that that went wrong in the execution was the the resignation process. Um, So it's a great story. It's uh, now... Paul, you'll have to you'll have to clarify the details. As I was out in Willis Hill, so I only heard about this secondhand. Um, uh, David had a, a young fellow, Nathan Byrne, who's gone on to do great things with with Michael Page, um, and. Um, uh, it's fair to say, you know, he, he was a madman back in the day and um, uh, heaps of energy and, you know, sort of um, bouncing off the walls. And, and Nathan loved um, buttered fair, microwave fair popcorn. To say, fair, fair to say, think Kramer from Seinfeld's guts. <laughs> yeah, correct. <laughs> <laughs> and um, he loved buttered microwave popcorn. 
And so, you know, he'd, he'd put the, the microwave popcorn in the microwave. And our, our office manager was uh, ruled the, the Melbourne office with an iron fist and, you know, very much sort of, um, uh, you know, threw her weight around and, and, you know, kept everyone in line. And she hated the butt of popcorn because it always used to stink out the kitchen um, with the smell. And anyway, as far as the story goes, and Paulie can clarify, um, Nathan forgot, well, instead of putting the buttered popcorn on for a minute, he put it on for 10 minutes, right? And, and, the, and the microwave blew up and smoke started pouring out and, you know, like, and anyway, smoke not only started pouring out of the kitchen, smoke started pouring out of the office manager's ears and she was just furious. And so she went to David Brain because David managed Nathan and just started, you know, tearing shreds off him. And, and obviously the boys were at really final stages of, of you know, resigning before going out. And, um, and David just cracked it. He's like, I can't deal with this anymore. I'm done. Got, got Matt Gribble into a room. He said, I'm out. I'm through. I can't deal with this anymore. And you might want to speak to Paul and Nick. And so, <laughs> so Matt Gribble then got Paul and Nick said, boys, is there anything I should know? And they went, oh, well, uh, yeah, I suppose we're resigning too. <laughs> <laughs> I never knew about the popcorn carts. It's the first I've ever heard of that story. But uh, basically what you say is true. I was meant to go first uh, and David trumped me. Uh, and then uh, Matt Gribble called me and said, oh, David's, David's resigned. And then... I said, yep, uh, he wasn't meant to do that. I was meant to go first, Gribbs, but uh, <laughs> I'm resigning too. And uh, he then asked me if there was anyone else and I just had to say, can't speak for people. And then he just went through a number of people until Nick resigned and then he came to me and said, anyone else? I said, no, that's about it. <laughs> wow. There's probably, to this day, there's probably dozens of Michael Page recruiters who think David Brain just lost his shit over some popcorn <laughs> and just matched out in a, in a history. I never knew that story. <laughs> I thought that. I thought that. I don't know. <laughs> I don't know if it's true. I wasn't there, but yeah, apparently it all started with a buttered popcorn. <laughs> <laughs> right, chaps. Well, so today we're going to um, we're going to talk about about something. Well, actually, I I, I preferred a, what I thought was a reasonably good idea, and uh, and and Kat's been the creative thinker that he is. Came back and said, "No, no, 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 no. We can do better than that." So today we are going to talk about. We're going to discuss the topic, uh, something that you both know a little bit about. Um, when creating success in recruitment, what is the most important factor? Is it recruitment excellence or is it culture? Um, so we're going to kind of break down each of those subjects and then we're going to come back to the conclusive question. I'm going to ask you both, based on what we've discussed today, I'm basically asking you to both to select one or the other. What's more important, culture or recruitment excellence? You cannot sit on the fence. You need to choose one or the other. But... We already know a little bit about you chaps, but I think it's always a nice way to start this podcast by letting the, the viewers and listeners find out a little bit more about you and uh, you know, what goes on upstairs. So I've, I've got a, three or four questions that I'd like to ask you just to get warmed up. I'll start with you, Paul, if I may. If you hadn't chosen a recruitment career or if recruitment hadn't chosen you, what career would you like to have had? Uh, Pete, I think you know the answer to this. Uh, you and I have formed a friendship over, over years of uh, music and our, our love of music. Uh, initially, I would have said uh, front man of Guns N' Roses or something like that, but seeing I don't have a musical bone in my body, uh, that was never going to happen. I, I don't know if you've ever um, seen the Netflix documentary on um, the producers, Dr. Dre, and uh, uh, I think it's James Levine. Um, so I would probably choose music producer. Again, I'm glad I, I fell into recruitment because I'd be absolute rubbish at both of them. Yeah, you could still be chasing that career right now. <laughs> you can play us a song, Pete. I see the guitar in the background. Well, yeah, as I, as I embarrassingly admitted to you not that long ago, everybody keeps telling me that the easiest song in the world to play is Wonderwall by Oasis. Apparently it's very easy. After 20 years of trying, I still can't get through Wonderwall by Oasis. So I'm, I'm with you being totally musically inept, Paul. Um, Kat, if you haven't been a, uh, a recruitment entrepreneur, what career would you, would you like to have had? Well, I'm, I'm recruiting graduates at the moment, and uh, we... I say to them that recruitment's the most fun job you can have in an office. Um, and then I go on to say, listen, if you're a, 
whitewater rafting instructor or something like that. It might be more fun, but in terms of an office job, it's, it's the best job you can have. Um, I think probably I would be doing something to do with the environment. I'm very passionate about the environment. So I think I'd be doing something. I don't know what it would be. Um, it'd be land care management or um, uh, habitat restoration or something like that. I, I think, I think I that that would be that'd be that is a big passion of mine. So I'd I'd, um, I'd probably gravitate towards that. But like Paulie, I, I don't know how long I'd last not dealing with people very much and not sort of having you know being so competitive. I, I think yeah, I'm very grateful I've landed in recruitment. In the right place, in the right place. Cool. Okay, thank you. Next question, again, with you, Paul. First, who in the recruitment industry do you admire the most and why? Um, there are lots of people I admire. You know, Pete, um, without being a sycophant, I think you're the best rec to rec I've, I've known and I've met a lot yeah. of them at the time. Carts. As you said, you exited uh, Page in, in uh, interesting circumstances and have built an incredible national business. Um, but the, the two that stand out for me, the obvious one is Greg Savage. Um, Greg Savage is a guy that I have the utmost respect for because he gives back more than any other. And you know, I will always attend his training and learning and development because I always learn something. Um, but most importantly, he is passionate and makes us proud to be recruiters. Uh, and I think recruiters are often really hard on themselves. And uh, every time I leave a conversation, a meal or a, a, a anything that Greg presents at, I walk away being really proud of what I do. So he's an obvious one, um, a less obvious one. Um, I'm sure you both know Ange Hawkins. Uh, Ange Hawkins runs Tandem Partners. Um, she is the consummate professional uh, and she is all class and uh, I've had a great friendship and partnership with Ange for a, a long period of time. They're our HR recruitment partner uh, and um, you know, one of the things that Ange says to me often and, and rings in my ear, we don't sell at Tandem Partners, we service and, by, and because they service, they don't have to sell uh, and so um, the two I would say would be Greg Savage, which is an obvious one, but Ange Hawkins is is someone I have hold up most respect for. Yeah, good choices. I think Greg Savage, you know, he he does what he does, but he doesn't need to, right? He could have he could have hung up his his boots many many years ago, but he keeps trucking. Um, and it's funny that you mention Ange because when uh, when when the COVID uh, shit hit the fan uh, almost twelve months ago. And was the first person I called to uh, to, 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 to to help me get a job. <laughs> yeah, she didn't deliver on that occasion, but that's okay. I haven't had that against her. Thank goodness. Um, Steve, who do you admire and why? Well, it's, there's really a day that goes by, Pete, that I don't wake up and uh, and thank God that uh, my Anthony Holdstock and Christian Keogh, um came into my life. But um, uh, you know, they they really were. Um, pivotal in in creating the business that 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 up and Carter is now. Um, uh, Paulie Hallam, Nick, and David, you know they've they've set the benchmark for in our space. You know, a, it's sort of white collar professional recruiter. You know, they're, they're one of the very few businesses that that were able to expand beyond the state in which they worked and, and you know, and create a national business. So um, I definitely admire the six degrees guys. And, and finally, I, I think it's, and for all of us, I, I admire the people that put up with me across the journey um, <laughs> that uh, knocked a lot of edges off a very, very, very rough diamond and had the patience and belief and, and um, uh, understanding to sort of bring me up to speed, so that's people like Richard King, um, mainly. He was my manager for the for, for the most part at, at Michael Page, but also um, Stephen Moyer and Matt Gribble and and Robert Lister were all, all managers of mine, and I admire those for um, for for uh, not giving up on me. Funny you say that, uh, Karts. Uh, someone asked me who is the person I respect most from a leadership perspective at Page because I think Page did a really good job of, of building managers but not leaders. And I think uh, Stephen King is, is the person. Um, Richard yeah. King. Uh, sorry, Richard King. Um, he is Stephen King's the author, isn't he? Uh, yeah. Richard King is, uh, is passionate. Um, he was consistent, always had his people's back and, and really 
um, you know, deliver you know, his actions uh, were his were his words. Yeah, yeah, no, spot on. Very good, very good. Paul, in a moment of honesty, what is the biggest mistake that you've ever made in your recruitment career? Oh, Pete, there are so so many. Um, <laughs> And, you know, I, I think it's okay to make mistakes as long as you learn from them. Yeah. The, the, the one that gets made regularly and, um, you know, I learned it very early but uh, haunted me throughout my recruitment career and, you know, I try and help the guys here but the same thing is you never presume you think you know what a candidate wants because, you know, I've been a few, burnt a few times over the years of not calling a candidate because I thought, oh, that person won't want this job. And sure enough, if you're working on a competitive job and they get it. So that, that, that's one that you know, uh, comes back to haunt and uh, a lesson that we can all learn. Uh, my biggest one is, is the healthcare business that we set up. Um, uh, you know, that was a, a, a big failure for us. You know, we launched a new recruitment business in the healthcare area and uh, you know, that was because we didn't um, really research properly. Um, we should have gone more aggressive of getting recruiters out of the healthcare industry. It's something we didn't know a lot about but thought there could be good money to be made. And, uh, you know, it wasn't dismiss failure. We, we still do a lot in healthcare and one of our biggest clients, oh, sorry, our biggest client is within the healthcare space, but uh, it's not where we want, not what we wanted or where we wanted it to be. Yeah, but presumably you, as you say, you, know, you learn from those mistakes, right? I'm sure those, those, those lessons were, were there when you launched your IT division, for example. Absolutely. Mm. Uh, Stephen, same question. Uh, so, yeah, very much as Paulie introduced his answer, you know, I, I, I definitely subscribe to the theory that, uh, um, you know, one different beat of a butterfly wings wing sort of leads to a different outcome and I'm, I'm really happy with my lot in life. So I wouldn't, I wouldn't want to change anything. You're, you're sort of either winning or you're learning. And, um, uh, but for the sake of, um, telling an interesting story um, and making interesting content. Um, I remember when I was at Michael Page, I, I was recruiting a, um, a 250K head of credit role for um, uh, Kenworth Finance. Now, this, is, this was one of the biggest jobs I'd ever worked on. And um, Kenworth, or it's now Packard, was based in Bayswater. And that's about an hour east of the Melbourne CBD. And on our books was a guy named Zbigniew Zabowski. And Zbigniew Zabowski was the head of credit for um, Iveco Finance, the Iveco Trucks Finance business. So he was the perfect candidate for this job. But he lived in Melton, which was about an hour west of Melbourne. But nonetheless, I, as a diligent recruiter, I called up Zbigniew and I said, Zbigniew, I've got your perfect job for you, mate. Um, it's with Kenworth Finance. It's paying a bit more. But the thing is, it's in Bayswater. And he, he said, Steve, like, that's going to be like two and a half hours each way for me to get there. Like, I know it's paying more, but, and I'm like, I oh, know, mate, I know. But I had to call you. Maybe you were thinking of moving, you know, you're flexible on location, move to the other side of the city. He goes, no, I've got kids, you know, I can't do it. Thanks for running by me. All good. Um, uh, uh, appreciate it. See you later. Hang up the phone. Started looking for other candidates. Um, didn't have much luck. Then Kenworth said, oh, we've found someone. And I'm like, oh, that's great, fantastic. Um, Who did you end up finding? Oh, it's a guy named Zbigniew Zabowski, right? And I called up Zbigniew and I said, Zbigniew, I called you about this job. What happened? Because it's like a $50,000 fee or something. It was just like a massive miss for a young, eager recruiter from Michael Page. And, um, and he goes, well, I know, like I got – this call from a recruiter and I said, listen, I've already spoken to Stephen Carter about it. And they said to me, what would it have to be? What, how much money would they have to pay you to make that trip? Wow. And I said, so I just made up like a number, like 400 grand and they paid it. Wow. And he goes, that's crazy. I have to stop for dinner in the city. <laughs> I have to stop for, like, to break up the two-hour commute. I have to stop for dinner in the city. And I kicked a hole in the wall and at Michael Page and I, 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 I drew a little um, arrow and then wrote Zbig Zabowski towards the hole in the wall that I kicked in the wall when I found out that I'd been out recruited. So as Polly said, um, 
keep asking questions. Um, you know, don't just uh, give up at the first hurdle. I learned an important lesson that day. I had a situation recently. What, what you thought is a fifty thousand dollar fee turned into a seventy five thousand dollar fee cards. Correct, exactly. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I, had, I had a situation recently uh, when when COVID broke. I had a senior manager in Sydney. Uh, he, he ran me up. He just lost his job because of COVID, and he said, um, "He said, Pete, I know nothing's happening out there. He said, I'm literally going to go home, turn the TV on, sit on the sofa, and wait for you to ring me with jobs. You know, you've you've got me exclusively." And um, the, the days turned into weeks, turned into months. And, he, and every now and then he ringed me up, so what's going on? So, mate, nothing's going on, unfortunately. And then uh, after a couple of weeks, he, he rang me up and he said, look, I've been approached directly um, by, by a business. It's a, it's a much more junior role. Can I, can I tell you who the business is and, and can you give me your, your, your impressions of them? I said, absolutely. And he told me the name of the company, just, to, just so happened to be one of my best clients. So he'd been sitting on the sofa waiting for me to call and my client to call him directly. Now, I didn't send him because the role they accepted was much more junior than, than, he, than he, in normal circumstances, would have even considered. But because of he was desperate, he took the job. And there's a, yeah, a 25 grand fee just goes floating in the wind. So um, COVID, COVID teaches us some harsh lessons. Ooh. Now then, final, final question before we get into the discussion. Um, Paul, if your children one day turn around to you and say, Dad, I want to go and uh, work in this, in this recruitment industry that you've been banging on about for years, will you, uh, will you try and discourage them? Uh, but if they if they if they choose to do it anyway, what advice? What's the number one piece of advice that you will give your children if they go into recruitment? Uh, would I try and discourage them, Pete? Absolutely not. Um, as Kart said when when uh, he opened, you can't have more fun in an office environment than working in recruitment. Yeah. Uh, and and even broader than that, I don't believe there are many roles or businesses that you get an insight into organisation. And you know, every organisation talks about the people being is what makes them thrive. Um, that you sh we should all be very proud of what we do. So if they wanted to do it, um, you know, one of the things I would say to them is it's, it's not easy. Uh, and uh, we all know that it's not easy. Um, but the advice I would give them uh, is the same advice I give them about life in gen general. And that's really, you get out of life what you put into it. Uh, and, um, you know, I don't know any recruiter that has not been successful, uh, sorry, that has been, that, that hard work is not the key to their success. Um, you know, you, you can do as many shortcuts as you want to, but uh, recruitment is about hard work and, and life is about hard work. And you've got to put in the work, doesn't necessarily mean the hours, but you've got to put in the work to be successful. So, you know, that, that advice, and the same advice, as I said, I give them in life, which is listen, be curious, and really importantly, enjoy the ride. Steve. Jeez. I want Paul Helm to be my dad. That's fantastic. <laughs> <laughs> you don't. You don't. <laughs> no, you don't, Steve. <laughs> Otherhood's about consistency, and that's something I'm not that great at, Cuts. <laughs> um, for me... I would say to them, any fool can learn from experience, but only the wise learn from the experience of others. So go in, find someone that you admire that is doing really well, is very successful, and they're doing it the right way, and just do whatever they tell you. So don't try and think you know better. Just if they say, do this, that's what you do. If they say, well, this is the way you do your shortlist, this is the way you prospect for clients, et cetera, et cetera, you just do whatever they tell you and learn from them. And that would be my advice um, because there's certain fundamentals that are incredibly important for success in recruitment. So um, that's what I tell my kids. Find someone you admire and just follow in their wake. Do what they do mm. and do what they tell you to do. Mm. That's the, the really, really wise words. And, uh, you know, it's a whole different conversation. But as we talk about whether you're going back into the office, working from home, one of the things that does worry me about uh, people working from home, especially early in their career, whether that be recruitment or anything else, is I learnt, as you did, Cuts, is from the people around me, people that did things really well, people that did things badly. Uh, and, you know, as I said, it's a whole different discussion, but uh, very hard to do that at home. Oh, absolutely. Even when you're in the office, the people that do their calls and they walk away from the desks, 
just infuriates me. What? How can I teach you if I can't hear what you're saying? Um, it's um, yeah, I, I totally agree. You've got to be around others. Mm. Okay, so I just want to break away from the chat just for two minutes to bring you an important message from one of our sponsors, Hoxo Media. Now, if you've been living under a rock for the last 12 months, I will tell you who Hoxo are. They are the world's leading content marketing agency specifically for the recruitment industry. Hoxo are currently working with well over 250 recruitment agencies globally and about 3,000 recruitment consultants. And they are helping those recruiters build the LinkedIn brands that open more opportunities by following a proven methodology daily. Now in 2021, the hugely successful Hoxo Academy is changing. They've launched an eight week personal brand launch program, which you can roll out right across your whole business. The Academy is aimed at helping traditional recruiters who have typically relied on outdated outbound calls to attract candidates and clients. And it helps those who often lack the knowledge of how to use LinkedIn for anything other than posting jobs and might struggle with both ideas and confidence when it comes to producing content. Post COVID-19, we all know that the world and our industry is now truly digital. The modern recruiter needs to have a unique and consistent LinkedIn presence that offers value to their community and drives opportunities inbound. So the Hoxo Academy helps every recruiter in your agency achieve this in just eight weeks. They are enrolling a new cohort of training at the start of each calendar month. Now, here's the good bit. The first 50 customers that sign up in 2021 get the chance to enroll unlimited users onto the program for 12 months at no extra cost. So if you've got 50 or 500 consultants now and you plan to hire more throughout the year, you can rest assured that they will all get the training they need to build a brand that wins business on LinkedIn. So please click the link attached to this episode or direct message me on LinkedIn to find out how your business can join the Hoxo Academy. On a personal note, I personally did the Hoxo Academy myself in the height of COVID and it absolutely changed my business. I made $60,000 across two months inbound, inbound business when people basically just rang me and said, I've seen your stuff on LinkedIn, please help me find a job. So if it worked for me, a wreck to wreck in the height of COVID, I'm pretty sure it could work for you too. So check it out. Back to the chat. Gentlemen, thank you very much. Hopefully that gives everybody a little bit more of an insight into who Paul Hallam and, and, and Steve Carter are. So to get into the, uh, the point of discussion, we're going to talk about what is more important when creating recruitment success, culture or recruitment excellence? So in order to, to get to the, to the end point, we need to understand from each of you what your definitions of each are. Hopefully they're a little bit different. We shall see. Um, Paul, I'll start with you. What is your definition of recruitment excellence? Uh, I put recruitment excellence down to four or five things. Um, the, the first being relationships and quality of relationships. Uh, you know, as we uh, we try and uh, build our accounting and finance business, uh, and I talk to CFOs. Uh, and I talk to them about the relationships they have with Stephen Carter and Anthony Holdstock that they've had for, for 10 or 20 years, it is very, very hard to compete with that. So, you know, that the quality, your relationships that you have and the quality of relationships, and, you know, as, as we sort of said earlier, these don't come overnight. These are entrenched over years and years of recruiting or recruiting that person into jobs. Um, so that, that, that to me is, is paramount and really important. Um, the other one is a, a very, very robust recruitment process underpinned by technology. You know, when Cards and I started, it wasn't really files, but we were working from Lotus Notes for memory cards. Um, the systems were uh, pretty antiquated or, or non-existent, wasn't, wasn't antiquated. Um, now there are um, really good um, systems and technology platforms that help you do your work and do a thorough process. Because let's be honest, recruitment is a process. You follow that process and your uh, chances of success are really high. Um, it's when you deviate from that process um, that you're going to have issues. So, um, you know, that, that, that robust process underpinned by technology is, is really important. 
um, the uh, an outstanding customer experience, uh, and that customer experience starts whether it's a client from when they call you um, uh, with a job, and to, to then you delivering a candidate for that per- for that job and the follow up of that. Uh, so that that customer experience. Um, never ends, but should always be refined and improved. Uh, and same on the candidate side. Um, so, you know, uh, I, the, what I do know about Sharp and Carter and Six Degrees is uh, we have uh, two customers um, being the candidate and the client, um, but the importance of those are equal um, because you don't have a, a great recruitment business without the, the emphasis on, on both. Um, and then the final one, you know, all those... Uh, uh, um, uh, I hope logical, but um, that the, the most important is, is also delivery. Um, you, know, you can have a great customer experience, you can have um, really good relationships, but unless you're actually placing candidates in, in roles uh, and delivering on your promise of, of, of what you are, um, you don't have a recruitment business. So they're mm. the things that I think are, are, are what recruitment excellence is about. Mm. Okay. Steve, please define recruitment excellence. Uh, similar to Paulie, I suppose what I what I jotted down was the standard at which you execute every part of the recruitment cycle, and that covers off all of the things that Paulie said. So things like the relationship building, prospecting, sales stage, how you execute that, um, uh, the taking of the job brief, the interview process. The market search, you know, are you slap dash with the market search or, you know, you just the first three people that come to mind or is it, you know, you actually go through and find the best person available? Um, the briefing of the candidate, the shortlisting process, do you just send resumes and say, give me a call, I'll talk you through them or do you, how comprehensive are your shortlist notes? Um, the offer management process, the post-placement management. So every stage in that recruitment cycle, how, to what standard are you executing that? And um, the higher the standard, the more excellent your your, your recruitment um, journey and, and process will be. So, um, yeah, that's, that's what I view recruitment excellence to be. Now, to Paulie's point in a way, uh, there are more important things in that um, in that in that list than others, and you know I think Paulie probably identified the most important ones, um, uh, and some are good at those parts. Some are better at some parts than other parts. But you know I don't want to throw stones, Paulie, but I think probably relationships are a bit better at than systems maintenance. I think that would be a very fair thing to say, Gus. <laughs> um, so uh, yeah, are we, so, we cut from the same cloth cuts? Yes, we are. Yes, we are. <laughs> <laughs> that's why I don't want to stay throw stones because I'm the joint glass house. Um, uh, so yes, but um, uh, you need to be the, the, the more you can get your business performing at a high level through all of those stages the more excellent your, your business will be. Okay. So that, so that leads me very nicely onto, onto the next question. You know, you've, you've, you've very clearly defined and detailed the components of recruitment excellence and, and, and what, uh, what, what, what factors into that, that, that definition um, and to some degree why they're important. But how do you achieve recruitment excellence? How do you maintain standards within your business. Now, if you've got a business of 30, 40, 50, 60, 70 people, how do you get them all operating at the same level of, of excellence, Paul? Um, I think uh, you know, both Karts and I talked about process and how do you get them, and this is how we've built our business. Um, there, are, there are many facets to that, Pete, but, but what's really important is that you document your process and you align your behaviours around that process. So that's how you can scale a business um, and achieve and, and scale to deliver recruitment excellence for when you're three people to when you're 30 people uh, to when you're 150 people um, is making sure that you've documented that process and constantly refining and improving that process. 
uh, and making sure that people are held to those standards uh, when they do that. And you know, a, a really good example at Six Degrees if we, is we do quality audits. So we audit people on their recruitment assignments randomly, uh, and they have to get a quality score to make sure that they are, are, are up to the recruitment process standards that we, we require. Uh, and that quality score then relates back to their commission. So you know, there is a discretionary component of our commission and if your quality score is low but you're billing lots of money, you're going to get a lower uh, aspect of the commission if you, as if your quality score is high. Um, but, you know, it, it really starts at the top uh, as far as excellence, as far as recruitment processes. Um, you know, you've got to have the, the leaders bought in um, to understand what recruitment excellence is and making sure that they are leading from the front and, and learning uh, and teaching uh, about what, what great recruitment uh, uh, process is. Uh, so that the leadership is really important. Um, you know, the investment in L&D uh, and investing in your people, um, you know, as far as um, uh, recruitment goes and technology, there is so much to learn and we're always learning. Uh, and the great organisations um, that deliver time and time again have really good L&D programs uh, and, the, you know, their people. And it's not just on recruitment process, but whether that's on leadership, whether that's on negotiation, whether that is having a really good work-life balance, whether that's... That is how to, to maintain a mental and physical healthy mind and body. Um, so it's that L&D uh, component. Uh, and you know, what I touched on earlier was around the customer experience in making sure the customer, being the candidate and the client, have an incredible experience every time. <clears throat> it's interesting that you say that, Paul, because I'm going to, I'm going to say something here that, that probably will uh, embarrass myself more than, more than anything. Um, so I've had my little business now for 17 years, and, uh, and I've, I've worked, worked with both of you guys for you know, close to a decade, if not more. In 17 years, there is only one person has ever asked me to send a cover letter with the CV, and that's you, Paul Holland. And, uh, and I'm going to, I'm going to uh, argue with that, Pete. I didn't ask for a cover letter. What I asked for was a synopsis of that candidate, understanding why that person was leaving, yeah. what they're looking for, what their salary is, and and just some some uh, a summary of that person rather than a cover letter during yeah. Yeah. Just a candidate summary. Yeah, and and uh, and, I, and I think I did it a few times, and then I probably dropped the ball. Um, that was probably a combination of arrogance and laziness because nobody else was asking them for me. But but then, do you know what? Do you know what I never thought about at the time was your customer experience. Didn't even occur to me. Um, that's interesting. Anyway, I digress. It's not about me. Um, Stephen. I love, I love it the way Paulie, um, Pete Watson always talks about his tiny little business that, you know, it's just such, it's just such a small affair. He's probably the richest, tiniest business owner in Australia, isn't he? He's like, he's been sitting on this gold mine just <laughs> filling his 500k a year for the past 17 years. Absolutely loving life. I, I wish even 20% of that was true. Has it got hot in your apartment all of a sudden, Pete? Yeah, with no furniture. I've had to fill it out with guitars and crap. <laughs> <laughs> sorry, sorry. I, um, For me, and I, I think I want to build a bit on what Paulie said, because the thing about, well, there's many common factors but between Six Degrees and Sharp and Carter, many things we share in the way that we go about things. Um, but one of the things I want to highlight is Paul Hallam, Nick Heindorf, David Braham, Stephen Carter, Anthony Holstock, Christian Keogh, so all six of us, first and foremost, were gun recruiters. We're all top billers at Page that have all continued to be top billers under our own, own brand. And in terms of leadership, leading by example, in terms of how you execute recruitment well is critically important to others following and it's becoming the norm within your organisation. So if you are not someone that is a successful recruiter in your own right, don't bloody start a recruitment business. <laughs> like, Well, you can, but it'll just be a lot harder because you're trying to teach people to do things that you don't do. 
And um, uh, so, you know, I think leadership is critical. The, the, um, the behaviour that you accept, sorry, the behaviour you walk past or the things that go wrong that you walk past are the things that you accept. And I know that Paul Hallam is not walking past people in his business executing poorly because he knows he knows what ex- excellence looks like. He knows what it takes to be an excellent recruiter because he's done it. And um, and I think leadership is critical. I think six degrees are better than us at the things like the quality audits and the linking of outcomes to commission and that sort of thing. I think we've, we're, we're playing catch up in those areas. Um, but, you know, the, the supporting thing to leading by example to leadership is your learning and development and your policies and procedures. So that people are clear on what's required. But for me, and I, I know that you know Paul and Nick and David. It's it's become a lot more sophisticated on the year over the years how they're going to manage a business at scale because they can't physically be next to people in Sydney and be next to people in Brisbane. So that's when policies and procedures and learning and development become more critical. But for years and years, it would have been off the back of those guys and myself, stock and keys, leading by example and showing the way as to this is what it takes to, to be a successful recruiter. You know, you know Katz, I, I, I will give David Braham credit for this because, as you know, quality and Q&A and uh, reporting and uh, all those things are not in my DNA. But, you know, as a business, Six Degrees do a lot in the engineering and manufacturing space. And just this lang- language of continuous improvement and process and process refinement, um, I always thought was what you did on a manufacturing floor. But, um, you know, it's, it's what we've actually brought into our business. You know, when we t- you talk Six Sigma and um, lean processes and all those type of things, and, you know, we've mapped the process, we've mapped the journey, we've mapped the candidate experience, probably over-engineered it at, in, at some stages. Um, but it's because that's in our DNA and in our language is why we've we've been uh, successful uh, because all those type of things lead to what I said most importantly is delivery. Yeah, yeah, nice no, Okay, chaps. So that's recruitment excellence. Please, um, please, please hold that thought. We're now going to focus on on uh, on something that um, <clears throat> yeah we, we we maybe wouldn't have been talking about uh, when you guys started your recruitment careers. Uh, or certainly not as much as, uh, and that's obviously culture, which is, uh, you know, so, so, so I want to strip this back and talk about what culture means to you um, and your business and then ultimately decide which is the more important. So, Paul, within six degrees, could you please define culture? Define culture. Um defining culture is harder than what makes of of how you build culture but culture to me is around ideas customs values purpose and really importantly behavior of your organization that defines and builds your organization um that's that's how i would summarize it um uh, but you you know you've got to be clear about who you are and what you stand for as an organization uh and then you know it's the leadership and the behaviors um that that make your culture Mm. But if somebody said, if somebody, if somebody came, if somebody went for an interview at Six Degrees and came out of that interview and said, "Oh look, I think they've got a really great culture down at Six Degrees," what, what, what do you think they mean? What, 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 do, you, what do you think the things are that they're looking for? In oh, so, you, so you're asking me to define Six Degrees as culture? Yeah. Yeah. Okay. And you know what? It's it's really hard. I I was talking to uh, Molly Green about this yesterday, and someone that uh, you know, Katz, who was uh, with uh, was first person I walked in and saw on my first day at Six Degrees. And I said to her, Molly, it is actually very hard to define culture because everyone says the same thing. Um, But I think what's really important is tell people the story of what our, we've just come back from our Six Degrees Elite, which is our elite program that we have every year. Uh, And what's great about that, what was incredible about that weekend is there were 20 people on a high-performance weekend, more than we've ever had before, and six months of the year was in a global pandemic. 
Um, and the, the, the greatest part about that weekend is that there were 20 people on that weekend and not one, there was not one outlier. There was a very diverse group of people, but everyone was included. Um, and, and no one was sort of left hanging and people could come in, you know, um, come in and out as they pleased as far as all the activities. And, you know, the youngest person I'm thinking on that weekend was 25. The oldest was 51. Um, you know, good mix of male, female, um, gay, straight, um, all, all types of uh, as far as diversity, but everyone was included. Uh, and I think that's a really important. We, we talk about family at Six Degrees and our, our approach is one where we look at um, a person for holistically rather than just professionally. So we will help them develop into the greatest recruiter or the greatest leader that they possibly can be. But we also take a real interest in um, making sure that they're making the right decisions in life without, you know, crossing the boundaries um, and you know that's our responsibility as leaders to make sure that people are looked after uh, and I think that is best reflected in our culture mm. okay fantastic Steve <clears throat> culture Sharp and Carter how do you define it well uh, we've done a podcast pretty much just solely on the Sharp and Carter pol- culture Pete so we spoke about it for an hour um <laughs> Uh, sorry, I'm not. I'm not. I'm not saying that to to say. Well, you already know me. I, I oh, just say, a link below. <laughs> I'm just saying that as in, um, uh, it could be an hour long answer rather than a two minute answer. Um, Give it two minutes, please. The um, yeah, the um, uh, we've got four pillars to our culture. We have care. We care for our people, and we care for them. Um, uh, about whole uh, as whole human beings, not just as employees. So our care goes beyond just you know when you walk in the door at the beginning of the day and leave at the end. Um, we trust our people. So trust isn't something you need to earn at Sharp and Carter. It's something that can be lost or broken, but we'll trust people the moment that we start working with them. Generosity. We're generous with our people and um, um, hopefully people feel like it's a a fair balance between the requirements of a business and and what they get out of it and humility. We're we're humble with the people. Arrogant people don't do well within Sharpland Carter. Um, And and I think for us, culture is, you know, I I looked up the definition of culture uh, and it said it's the accepted norms, values and behaviours of a group. Um, for us, I think it's as simple as the way we treat each other. And um, and whenever I have a new starter at, at, at Sharp and Carter, I always look at how they go about building internal relationships, mm. whether people like them, because it always, you know, night follows day. If they can build relationships internally, they'll be able to build relationships externally. So it's always the, you know, the, the, the first indicator of how they'll go as a recruiter um, is how well they, they build relationships internally. So, um, so yeah, that's, that's, that's the definition of our culture and what the culture at Sharp and Carter is. Mm, thank you. So, Paul, how do you, uh, how do you achieve that great culture? How do, you, how do you ensure that it remains what you want it to be, you know, that, that, that great culture, that good culture? How do you, how do you stop bad apples damaging it? How do you sustain it? Um, stopping the bad apples is, is similar to what uh, Steve said, is that uh, the, the, the behaviour you walk past is the behaviour you accept. And uh, if you go back to mistakes in recruitment and from a leadership point of view, is not acting quickly enough when you, you, know, you talk about the Sydney Swans and they have the no dickheads policy. Uh, I think we've all been guilty of not acting quick enough when we've got to get rid of people that don't align to your cultures and values. But um, you know, the, 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 how, do, how do you achieve it? You achieve it by having you know, clarity about who you are as an organisation and what you stand for. Um, so that goes to your values, your behaviours, your mission, your purpose. Um, and a, a lot of those sometimes are just um, words for organisations that you see. But you know, we, we talk about the values of six degrees being you know, curious minds, um, uh, delight our customers. Uh, and those type of things are in our language, whether that be our performance reviews, whether that 
um, be uh, um, when we're hiring. Um, so, you know, making sure that if you have a values and purpose that is actually aligned to everything you do as an organisation and that you measure um, people against those, that's, that's really important. Um, the, the other part is, is uh, you know, and I think uh, Katz, you'll agree with me totally here, is that uh, you know, we, have, we have a great culture in our organisation because we've been really successful. Uh, and, um, you know, you look at great sporting clubs, um, if they're winning, everyone talks about their culture. And, you know, everyone's talking about Richmond Football Club at the moment or Hawthorne prior to that. You know, it, it, you build a culture by winning uh, and um, you win by making sure that you have high standards Incredible recruitment excellence, Pete. Um, uh, incredible training and development. Um, uh, incredible career opportunities for people. Um, strong leadership. Um, so all those things that ensure that you're winning and successful. Because as a business or as a sporting team or, or whatever your organisation is, if you're not successful, um, it's very hard to build a great culture. Okay. Yeah. Um, so that 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 is really important. Um, uh, I think, um, and and you know, when you're talking about the, the the winning or success, is making sure that you um, do you you celebrate it and do that in the right way. I, I really loved what Karts talked about was humility. Um, be fair to say, in our previous employer Karts, there wasn't a lot of that, um, and um, I think it's a, a really really important thing, especially in our industry, because um, you know there are a lot of decades in our industry um, and uh, I think you know that humility especially when you're dealing with candidates and especially when you're dealing with candidates have not been successful um, you know to have that humility I think sets, sets you apart um, is really really important and uh, you know things like diversity and inclusion having a diverse work workforce makes for a great culture uh, and uh, making sure that not only you're diverse but 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 everyone is included I think is really really important okay thank you so, Steve, how do you adhere? How do you make sure that everybody in your business adheres to your four pillars that, that form your your foundation for your culture? Oh, well, Paulie stole my thunder a little bit. I, I was I, I certainly at some stage going to touch on um, recruitment excellence and culture, and you can't have one really without the other. You can't have recruitment excellence if you don't have a good culture. If you're trying to just rule with an iron fist and, you know, um, shouting out jump and everyone shouting out back at you how high and, you know, it just, it, just won't, it just won't mean that people execute recruitment excellence. You need a good culture to be able to support you to deliver for your customer and vice versa. You can't have a good culture unless you're successful. Like it's, it's it's not much fun being in an environment where you're constantly losing to six degrees day in day out and you never get to place a job. Recruitment is not fun. It won't be a good place to work. So um, uh, so you you can't have one without the other. Um, I think uh, it really this only um, jumped into my mind off the back of Paulie's answer. I, th I think one of the other uh, commonalities between six degrees and sharp and carters we're both privately owned and what that private ownership allows is to take a very long-term view to your journey in recruitment and your journey as a business i should say so i got a call yesterday from one of my um team and they said uh we placed a we placed a hr administrator role and it's backed out, but the, the lady that has placed it left a month ago. What do you think I should do? And, you know, I obviously started with, well, what do you think? But basically I said, mate, you call the client, you say, I'm so sorry, the person's left. Um, you refund the client your fee because you're not in a position to be able to refill it. And you call up, you know, Ange or um, another HR expert and say, use them because you take a really long-term view to your relationships. You lost out on that fee and you had to repay $10,000. But if you burn a bridge there and either try, you know, he was thinking maybe I'll do it myself. Now he's a finance recruiter. You, you're going to butcher that and they're going to get a bad experience. And so either he butchers that or he doesn't fill it. The client's going to get a bad taste and 
that client's not going to call you with the next job and the job after and the job after. And I think often under more corporate ownership or a listed environment, you're focused on quarterly numbers. What number are you going to build this month? What number are you going to build this quarter? Et cetera, et cetera. And you become really short-term. I'm not going to back this fee out because I'm going to make my quarterly number. But you have five years of relationship with that client. So that's a, that's a commonality. I think um, uh, for us, we have achieved our culture by putting our people first. So we our people come before our profit and their interests become before the interests of the business. And what that looks like on a day-to-day basis is managing people as individuals rather than a one-size-fits-all management or leadership um, uh, approach. So, um, you know, again, our previous employer, it's just at such a scale that it was one-size-fits-all. Now, I'm a 22-year-old graduate with without a care in the world. Paul Hallam's a 28-year-old fellow with lots of different balls in the air and responsibilities. We shouldn't be managed the same, but we were. And, um, and it's just not the way to build a good culture. People need to feel like they're being looked after within the environment in which they work rather than being treated the same as everyone else. And so I think that's sort of specific to how we approach it is putting people's interests first and, um, and managing them as, as individuals. So just breaking away from the conversation for one more minute, just to bring you another quick message from our other sponsor, Vincere, the recruitment weapon for progressive recruitment firms. So Vincere is an all-in-one platform that covers your front, middle and back office recruitment operations from BD, applicant tracking, rostering, timesheets, invoicing, internal chat, all the way through to battle-tested analytics and dashboards. Vincere's vision is to build the features that other CRMs outsource to third parties or a marketplace. So if your current recruitment tech stack has become a debt stack, or even worse, a Franken stack, then Vinny will bring everything into one place. Vincere is Aussie-owned and is run by a team of successful ex-recruiters. So if you're currently using Bullhorn, JobAdder, or the like, but are looking for a new breed tech partner, speak to Vincere. No matter what your recruitment journey is, whether it's contract, temp, exec search, or perm, if you're a subscriber to this podcast, then you can get an exclusive offer from the Vincere team. Simply visit www.vincere.oo slash mint. Back to the chat. So before I kind of pin you down and ask you for your definitive response to the question, what is more important, recruitment excellence or culture? I know you've just said you can't have one without the other cards, which sounds like you're trying to... Okay, Paul said it as well. Paul, Paul said it as well. Okay, all right. So it sounds like you're both edging towards sitting on the fence. So we'll, we'll, we'll come back to that. Well, we will come back to it, Pete, because you've said we aren't allowed to sit on the fence. So I have made a decision. Good man. Um, Good. I'll, I'll reason that once I, once I give it to you. Perfect. So before we do that... Um, we need to understand what success means in recruitment. It can mean many things. It, uh, does it mean reputation? Does it mean headcount? Does it need, mean profit? Does it mean number of offices? Um, does it mean the, the, the point where you can sell the business for the, for the most, most multipliers? What, what, what does success mean for you, Paul, when you think about Six Degrees? Um, so for when, when I think about six degrees and, and you know, it's, it's the same thing in life, Pete. You ask someone what success means, you're going to get 10 different answers. And, mm. and you, yeah. you, you frame that question really well. What, what does it mean to six degrees? Um, six degrees, uh, success is, is about um, living and breathing our values and, and adhering to our values uh, and what we stand for. Um, you know, we've gone diff- through different phases as far as headcount and building numbers and all those type of things. Um, but, you know, success for us is building a really strong, sustainable business. Um, you know, there was probably a, a time there where we got carried away with headcount and, and that's not what we're at now. Um, it is about a business that we um, can build and then 
um, hand over to, to what I call the next generation and think about that from a family perspective. So we have uh, 10 people in our business, other than David, Nick and myself, 10, I think it's 10, that have actually bought into the business. Um, so, you know, from, from our perspective, there, there is a, a clear opportunity for people within our business to take a, take over from the next generation. And you know, that's evident in, in Susie taking over as CEO and the incredible job she's doing uh, as CEO of Six Degrees now. Um, so success is, you know, there is the financial aspects. If you are not making money and not profitable, um, you haven't got a business. So, of course, that is important. Um, but, you know, the, the, the next most important part is around the people and making sure that we're, that we're engaged, um, that we uh, look after each other, you know, as Kat spoke about, that we care for one another. Uh, and, um, you know, we, we uh, have just, uh, Ivor Lloyd-Reese has just come the next person to be 10 years at six degrees. By the end of this year, uh, in a headcount of 70 or 80 people, we've got about 12 or 13 people that have been here 10 years in recruitment. That is incredible. Uh, and so, you know, it is the humanistic, I'm not, I'm not going to, I don't like the word soft, but the humanistic aspect that is really important to us uh, and, and what makes us successful. Steve, same question, sir. Well, great answer. It's just amazing how many similarities there are because we, we've built a partnership model as well. So I've got 15 business partners and, um, and I think a large uh, part of my definition of success is the legacy that I lead, leave to the next generation of business partners coming through, that they will run this business and um, they'll have the same opportunities and um, benefits that I've had. And um, and that that relies upon, or no, that doesn't rely upon. It goes hand in hand with uh, an attempt to retain great talent, to retain your best people, and um, and just like Six Degrees, we have so many people that have been here for a long, long time, and um, you know, Six Degrees don't have any relationships in market. Sorry, Paulie. It's Paul Hallam that has relationships. It's Nick Heindorf. It's David Braham. It's um, Susie. It's Johnny Whitehead. It's etc. Al Penny. Yep, you're exactly right. They have relationships, just like I do. And, you know, Sharp and Carter don't. And if you lose, if Paul loses Susie, he loses Susie's relationships, and that then affects his business. So, um, so just really reiterate that part of of what Paulie talked about i think we as a business have never really uh been big on destinations that at a certain point we should look like this that we should be um a certain headcount a certain turnover in certain locations certain number of offices etc our our growth has been much more opportunistic so it's been people-led if we meet a great you know brisbane and Sydney's both started because we found great people that were happy to partner with us to open those offices. Without those people, we wouldn't have opened those offices. Um, and uh, so our, our growth has been much more opportunistic. Um, so it hasn't really been about destinations. What uh, what it has been about is about enjoying the journey. And that's what I, I feel most grateful and arguably my, I feel the most successful when I attend, when I look at the benefits people have enjoyed with in working with the business. So when people have gotten engaged, when people have gotten married, when people have had children, when people have brought houses, you know, when they've gone on this life's journey and had these big life events whilst they've been working with us and arguably they've been able to achieve some of these things in a small part through working with us. Yeah. That's when I feel the most successful. I feel the most grateful and, you know, for the sake of the answer, arguably the most successful. Yeah. Perfect. Good. All right, chaps, we're wrapping up. Let me, uh, let me put you on the spot. Um, I'll, I'll politely request that you don't sit on the fence and, and ask you your definitive response to the question, what is more important when creating success in recruitment? Is it uh, recruitment excellence or culture, Paul? This is great, uh, you have to go. And, and, and you know, uh, Kart and I have been uh, sitting on the fence and I, you know, I, if you make me choose one, Pete, 
It's recruitment excellence. Okay. Because recruitment excellence breeds success, and success is one of the most important ingredients to culture. Um, so if you're going to force me to have one, that's the one I'm going to take. Um, but uh, I think you know where Katz and I feel uh, most. If, if, if I didn't force you to choose one or the other, Paul, would you be, would you be saying that they are both mutually important? Absolutely. Okay, that's fine. That's cool. Steve? Yeah, oh, well, um, this has been great because Paul's had to go first in every answer. <laughs> been unfair on you, Katz. You've, you've had an hour with Pete already. <laughs> um, well, this is going to work well because I, I think that um, we, if I had to choose one, and just like Pearly, I, I think they go hand in hand. You can't have one without the other. Yeah. But I think we have driven recruitment excellence through culture more so than driving culture through recruitment excellence. So I think I will go on the other side of leaning towards culture if I had to pick one. So um, uh, it's an interesting little, you know, it's probably only a 51, 49% difference, but it's an interesting contrast between two. Hopefully people would see us as both have been successful in the industry that, that two perhaps, you know, um, slightly different approaches. Perfect. Gentlemen, thank you so much. I, I, look, it's, it's been it's been insightful and fascinating. I really hope there's some there, sh- there should be plenty of pearls of, of wisdom and some some nuggets for any any uh, any young. I say young. I shouldn't say young in your company. Like you're not young, but no people at the beginning of their entrepreneurial recruitment careers. They they they've hopefully picked up some pearls of wisdom there that will that will serve them very well. Thank you so much, chaps. Thanks for having us, Pete. Thanks, and uh, and best of luck. Uh, you, so just get back, you just get back, Pete, to um, just complaining about your five hundred thousand dollars a year billing and your tiny little business, and then we'll um, we'll all get on with the day. <laughs> that, was, that was that was that was in the good old days, Steve. The director rec industry. We're currently in the bad old days, but that's uh, <laughs> touch wood. It won't last forever. Just find us candidates, Pete, and we will uh, we'll hire them. <laughs> I'll just go out into the garden and shake my candidate tree. Exactly. <laughs> Thank you, chaps. I really appreciate your time. Cheers, bye. Thank you. Cheers. Thank you so much for listening to the Recruitment Journeys podcast. Really hope you enjoyed it. Now, while we're passionate about bringing inspirational recruitment stories to our network via this podcast series, Recruitment to Recruitment is our bread and butter and our day job. So if you are a recruiter thinking about your next career chapter, which coincidentally forms part of your recruitment journey, see what I did there? We're always keen to have confidential discussions with recruiters about what's going on in the market. So please feel free to contact me in the strictest of confidence on 0432-666-701 or email pete at mintrecruitmentgroup.com. Thank you.